0: So tonight, we're going to be looking at the Sovereign God is a Righteous Judge. Um, So, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity and privilege we have to open your word. I thank you, Father, for the word of God that you have given to us. Uh, We have a complete revelation of thyself and that we can compare scripture with scripture and come to a proper understanding of thy truth. So if I pray for as we look in the word of God tonight, as we compare scripture with scripture, that we might come to that right understanding of this passage of scripture, and be able to uh, give an answer to every man of the reason of the hope that lieth in us with meekness and fear. So just pray that you give us wisdom and understanding, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, there's a dangerous and damaging doctrine that is growing in popularity among Baptists. It's uh, very popular in the Southern Baptist Convention. It's uh, growing in popularity among independent Baptists as well is what we call Calvinism. Um, so Calvinism, the basic premise of Calvinism is that a sovereign God chooses or elects some to be saved, and others to be lost. If you have an extra one, Edwin could use one. Thank you. Uh, Some to be saved and others to be lost. Now, just think about that. Right away, that should throw some red flags into your mind because it it raises some serious questions and problems with other passages of Scripture like John 3.16, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. I mean, you know, a common man can understand that verse of Scripture when it says, God so loved the world, and then that whosoever believeth in Him, that's pretty easy to understand. Um, Or Romans 10.13, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So, so, it raises some serious questions when you're comparing scripture with scripture. Of course, the way around that difficulty is you change meanings of words, or, and, or, and take verses out of context. Let give you an illustration. I was talking with a man years ago, and I didn't realize when I first started talking to him that he was a Calvinist, but I soon found out. And he, you know, he would quote these famous theologians. Um, I'm trying to remember the name. Uh, Bruce Metzger was one of them he liked to quote, who, who had, who didn't take, who, who said that the Book of Jonah was a myth. So that ought to raise some serious questions, you know, quote such a guy anyway. But anyway, and he said that, you know, if you go to the Greek, the word all and whosoever, it doesn't mean everybody. It means a group of all. A group of the whosoever. Well, you know, I'm by no means a Greek scholar, but I had a little Greek in Bible, in my Bible Institute training. So I went to my Greek lexicon and I looked up the word whosoever and I looked up the word all. And it's, and he said it's the Greek word pos. And it is the Greek word pos. And it means all, whosoever, whosoever will. That's what it means. It doesn't make these distinctions as it's the all of a certain group. It says no, no such thing. Uh, and of course, the other thing they like to do is take isolate passage of scripture. And the most popular support passage, probably, for this damnable heresy, is Romans 9. Uh, of course, you know, if, if you think about that, if you believe that some are chosen to be saved and then others are chosen to be lost, why go soul winning? I mean, when they say some are chosen to be saved and others are chosen to be lost, a true Calvinist believes that if you are one of the chosen, you will get saved. You really don't have a choice in the matter. That's what they believe. Of course, again, you have some real serious issues with some passages of Scripture. Uh, so it, it destroys soul winning uh Witnessing. Uh, after all, you know why, they're going to get saved anyway, so why, I don't know why they spend money for missions, but they they still do, they say because it's commanded. So let's look at this passage tonight as we think about this and and try and come to a right understanding of, and this is can be a difficult passage. Uh, first of all, God is righteous. Notice verse 14, what shall we then say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? And again, he says, "God forbid." In other words, perish the thought. It cannot be. There cannot be unrighteousness. The word unrighteous here means unjust. And if you, if again, if you believe Calvinism, you have to come to the conclusion that God isn't just. There's no other way to look at it. Although they would say, "No." You you have no right to say that about God. You just have to accept that God is sovereign. But common sense would tell you God is not just then. If he just simply arbitrarily chooses some to be saved and some to be lost. He's not just. It makes him a tyrant, and a dictator. Which he is not. So, God is just, and He's righteous. Deuteronomy 32.4 said, He is the rock, His work is perfect, for all His ways are judgment, a God of truth, and without iniquity. Just and right is He. God is never wrong, He has never done anything wrong, He has never been unjust. Zephaniah three, 3.5 The Lord, the just Lord, is in the midst thereof. He will not do iniquity. Every morning doth he bring his judgment to light. He faileth not, but the unjust knoweth no shame. In Psalm 89, 14, justice and judgment are the habitation of thy throne. That's who God is. Those are his attributes. You know, 2 Timothy 2, 13 says, if we believe not, you know, if we lack faith sometimes as God's people, if we believe not, yet he cannot if we, believe not, uh, if we believe not, he, huh? he invited. Oh, thank you, he invited faithful, he cannot deny himself. See, what that means is, even when you and I sin against God, he can't deny us. Because we're in Christ. A just God. Think about what 1 John 1, 1.9 says. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and what? Just, to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, the justice of God requires that He forgive us on the basis of His Son. Now think about that. So a just God has obligated Himself to forgive our sin as Christians when we confess it. Because He... Said he would. He said, when we, when we make, when we surrender our life in repentance and, and trust Christ as our Lord and Savior, we become a child of God. He cannot deny us. Even if we don't trust Him at times. You know, He, again, again, what that boils down to is God cannot contradict Himself. In Hebrews chapter 6, Verses six through sixteen, Hebrews six, verses six through sixteen, speaking about uh, a promise that God made, I believe, to Abraham. Here, I think that's the context. But it says, "For men, swearly, verily swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife." Wherein God, willing more abundantly to show to to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability. You know what it means to be immutable? Unchanging. He cannot change. So God, to show unto the errors of promise, that's us, the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath, that by two immutable or unchanging things, in which it was impossible for God to lie, we have a strong consolation, who fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. So, you know, God is immutable. He cannot change. He is righteous and just. He cannot contradict himself. He will always be just in all his dealings. He's righteous. So God is righteous. Secondly, God is sovereign in his justice. Notice several things here, verses 15 and 16. First of all, mercy is a gift of God. Mercy is a gift of God. Verse 15, For he saith to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. So mercy is a gift of God. It's all of God. It is received of God on his terms. It's very important to understand. Mercy is received of God on His terms. If you don't come to God in His terms, you can't get it. You can't get it. He wrote the law. You know, you know. We we understand this of salvation, but I think sometimes we don't think about it when we're thinking talking about mercy. John Jonah two nine says, uh. uh but I will sacrifice unto thee the voice of the, the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay that that I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. And, you know, of course we understand Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace you say through faith, that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Uh, John 1, 12, and 13 says, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe in his name. Who were born. Not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. So mercy is of God. Not of him who bargains for it. Or willeth. Notice there's a, that word in verse 13. So then it is not of him that willeth. That word willeth is I'm determined, or I'm resolved to get it. Now, the mercy of God is not by determination. You know, many people accomplish great things by determination. They're determined to do something, and they do it. But you don't come to God that way. You come to God by submitting to Him. You receive of His mercy by submitting to Him. See, Pharaoh was determined he was going to make an agreement with God, but it was going to be on his terms. Do you know what he started doing? You know, his first answer to Moses was, who's the Lord that I should obey him? And then when the plague started coming, God started bringing down judgment on Egypt, then he started saying, well, why don't you just do your sacrifice in the land? And Moses said, That'd be an abomination to the Egyptians. They'll stone us. And so there's another plague. And then he said, well, who is it that has to go? Just don't go very far. And who is it that has to go? You know, you, you men can go. You just leave your wives and your children here and your cattle and all your belongings. You leave them all here, but you men can go. See, what was he trying to do? He was determined that he was going to make an agreement with God, but it was going to be on his terms. He was he was willeth, he was desirous to make an agreement with God, but he wanted it on his terms. He was determined that it was going to be on his terms. But he would not submit himself to God. See, it isn't of him that willeth. It's not the will of the flesh, nor the will of man. So no man can give it to you, but of God. And this mercy... The reason Pharaoh didn't receive of the mercy of God again is because he tried to bargain for it. He he tried to get it on his terms. You know, you can read about that in Exodus chapter five, verses one through four, and chapter eight, where he bargained, tried to bargain with Moses, which is really bargaining with the Lord. You know, I really think that Moses or Pharaoh understood where the plagues were coming from. But he was not willing to submit himself to God. He wanted to make a deal on his terms. And that's why Paul said, It's not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth. Kind of reminds me of the rich young ruler who came running to Jesus. Good master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Of course, Jesus went through the commandments and said, All these have I kept from my youth up. Jesus said, I lack one thing. Sell all that you have give it to the poor, come follow me, and thou shalt treasure in heaven. Well, he went away. See, he was trying to hang on to his way. He Again, he wanted to come to God on his terms. Mercy is a gift of God. We don't come or to God, we don't receive of his mercy on our terms. It's on his terms. So mercy is a gift of God. Secondly, as we think about God as sovereign and his justice, the judgment of God on the judgment of God is on those who reject his counsel. Notice verses seventeen through nineteen. For it says the scripture saith unto Pharaoh, Even for this same purpose have I raised thee up, that I might show my power in thee, that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. Therefore hath he mercy on whom he will have mercy and whom he hardeneth or whom he will he hardeneth. Thou wilt say then unto me, why doth he yet find fault for who hath resisted his will? Now, the word willeth and will is used a lot in this passage, and the word uh, is used in different ways, and we use it in different ways. Um, You know, we might say, well, I, and we don't talk like this in English anymore, but, but you know, this is of course another time that the Bible was written, uh, we might say, Well, I desire that uh uh you, you know, I desire, Andrew, that you go uh somewhere tomorrow and buy me, you know, two gallon of ice cream or you know, that's my wish, that's my desire. That's that's my will for you. That's what I want you to do. You know, the Bible uses it that way. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some man kind can of slackness, but as long-suffering does the word, not willing, not desirous, that any should perish. That's what God desires for us, is to be born again. Okay? It's also used to mean to be determined, or to purpose, or to intend. For example, in Acts chapter 18, verse 21, He says, He bade them farewell, farewell, saying, I must must by all means keep this feast that cometh in Jerusalem, but I will. In other words, I'm determined, I'm resolved, and I have in, intentions of returning again unto you, if God will. That's Acts 18.21. And this is speaking of Paul when he was on his way to Jerusalem. We know that Paul never did return because he ended up in Rome. So this is the meaning of him that willeth. You see, Pharaoh's will was not submitted to God's will. His intentions were, Israel is staying in Egypt. That was his determination. Israel is staying in Egypt. They are staying in bondage to the Egyptians. That was his determination. That was his will. You see, Pharaoh's not will was not, you know, and and basically what he's saying is, look, they're going to serve me. They're not going to leave me and go serve you. And when God began to judge him, he began to say, "Let's make a deal. Let's make a deal." But you don't make deals with God. You'll make deals with God. Verse nineteen says, "This thou wilt say then unto me: Why doth he yet find fault?" for who hath what's the next word resisted his will who hath resisted see that word resist means to set oneself against to withstand to oppose and pharaoh set himself against god he resisted god's will he wanted his own will he wanted to make a deal with god and he wanted but he wanted his way and when you set yourself against God, you are fitting or arranging yourself for God's destruction. You're arranging yourself. That's what the word fitting here means. So this is what favor did. In fact, look at, look at Exodus chapter 9. Exodus chapter 9. <clears throat> Exodus chapter 9 and verse 13 says, And the Lord said unto Moses... Now, this is, um, this is probably about, uh, I don't know, plague number eight, I suppose. You know we, we have some serious plagues. The Lord said unto Moses, verse 13, Exodus 9, Rise up early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God of the Hebrews, Let my people go, that they may serve me. For I will at this time send all my plagues upon thine heart, and upon thy servants, and upon thy people... Thou mayest know that there is none like me in all the earth. See, God's trying to tell Pharaoh. Look, you understand, there's no one like me. You're not equal with me. See, Pharaoh is still thinking. Look, God, I have a right to do. I have a right to do a deal with you. You know what he's implying there? You and I are equals. It'd be like it'd be like our president saying to Putin, the Russian president, "Let's make a deal." Now, can they make a deal? Are they equals? Yeah, they are. They're both presidents of their countries. That'd be considered an equal, making a deal with an equal. But God says, look, you're not like me. We're not on the same plane. We're on the same plane. And then he says, verse 15, For now I stretch out my hand, that I may smite thee and thy people with pestilence, and thou shalt be cut off from the earth, And in very deed for this cause have I raised thee up, for to show in thee my power, that my name might be declared throughout all the earth, as yet exaltest thou thyself against my people, that thou wilt not let them go. Behold, tomorrow about this time I will cause it to rain a very grievous hail, such as hath not been since in Egypt since the foundation thereof, even until now. Send therefore now, and gather thy cattle and all that thou hast in the field, for upon every man and beast which shall be found in the field shall not be brought home. The hail shall come down upon them, and they shall die. Now notice verse 20. He that feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh made his servants and his cattle flee into their houses. He that regarded not the word of the Lord left his servants and his cattle in the field. Look at verse 30. But as for thee, this is Moses speaking to Pharaoh, as for thee and thy servants, I know that ye will not yet Fear the Lord God. Did you ever witness to somebody, and you could tell they weren't really believing what you were trying to tell them? Moses knew by talking to Pharaoh, he wasn't believing what he was saying. You see... And when, when one resists God's will, he rejects God's counsel, the only alternative God has is righteous judgment. Because God cannot give mercy to one who rebels against him, who sets himself against him. See, a righteous or just sovereign will and must judge rebellion. Against him, or he himself becomes unjust. You know, if you, if you assist your children in breaking the law, what do you become? An accomplice with their lawlessness. See, if God would overlook Pharaoh's sin or overlook our sin. He then becomes an accomplice with sin. And a just God cannot do that. And I know many a parent to do it. But God can't do it. He will not do it. Because he is righteous. You know, to do that would violate his person, it would violate his holiness. You know, Genesis 18, 25, you know, even Abraham said to him, shall not the judge of all the earth do right? And the obvious answer is, yes, he will. Psalm 94, verse 2, lift up thyself, thou judge of the earth, render a reward to the proud. You know, in Romans 1, 21 and 23, we see here that God rewards the pride, proud, and those that reject Him, and He, their foolish heart is darkened. It says, because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like unto corruptible man, and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. So when people reject God that we can see in creation, and they glorify God as not God. God sends them, or a God that their minds are darkened. You know, when a person turns away from the truth, their heart becomes calloused. Do you ever say about somebody, or 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 warn somebody about this? You know. If you continue in this, you're going to become calloused or insensitive to it. That's, a hard, that's what it means to harden your heart. And the more Pharaoh rebelled against God, you know what? The easier it was to rebel against God. Because he became more calloused, more calloused. Just like you work, you know, you work with your hands. What do you get on your hands? Calluses. Third thing. Sovereign righteous God determines your reward. Verses, I'm going to notice three things here. Verses 20 through 20 to the third, 23. Number one, God did not make us rebel against him. God does not make anyone to rebel against him. Verse 20. Nay, but O man, who art thou that repliest against God? Shall the thing form say to Him that formed it, why hast thou made me thus? Now, let me ask you some questions. Of course, those are written out there. Did God create rebels? Did God make Adam a rebel? And Eve a rebel? Did God create disorder? Chaos? Handicaps? Cancer? adultery, homosexuals. we got some that are saying that they were made that way today to justify their sin. Is that how God created people? Of course, we know the obvious answer. No, God did not. God made us in His image, and everything that God made was very good. Very good. And so when you blame God for your stubbornness or your rebellion against God or, you know, for your sin in your life and in your world, what you're doing is replying against God. That's what it means. You're replying against God. To reply against means to contradict in reply. To answer by contradicting or to dispute. So you're disputing with God. So these people, they're saying, "Why well, was born gay. They're disputing with God. God didn't create homosexuals. He didn't create sodomites. It's a sin brought about by choices. If you let your sin nature have its way, it will lead to that eventually. Or it can. Or any other type of sin. So what Paul is really saying here is this to say that God made Pharaoh wicked and to dispute against God is preposterous. God didn't make him that way. Again, if you compare scripture with scripture. For example, Exodus nine thirty four says, And when Pharaoh saw that the rain and hail and the thunders were ceased, he sinned yet more and hardened his heart he and his servants. Remember the first answer Pharaoh gave Who's the Lord? God should obey him. You know what he was setting himself up for? To callous his heart. Harden it. And he continued to harden his heart. So, you know, God didn't make him. So, so people say, oh, wait a minute here. You know, this is a Calvinist argument. God made Pharaoh just for this purpose. Now, let me ask you a question. Notice there in verse 17. For the scripture saith unto Pharaoh, even for the same purpose have I raised thee up, that I might show my power in thee, that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. Now, we know that God was glorified in the judging Egypt and judging Pharaoh. Now let me ask you a question. Could God's power been demonstrated to the world if Pharaoh the monarch of the world at the time would have said, Lord, I realize you're greater than I. That you and I are not on the same plane. And I am going to submit to you. And I'm going to let your people go. And I'm going to let them go willingly. All the rest of the world that looked at Egypt as the power to be reckoned with in the world, what do you think that would have said to them? They would have stopped back and say, Wow this God must really be great. See, my point is, don't you think God could have been glorified if Pharaoh would have said, God, you're right. You're right. I'm wrong. And I'm going to submit to you. That would have been a a great witness to all the other nations that look. Look. This is the God that you need to submit to. This is the God that you need to worship. This is the God you need to glorify. Because if you don't, he has the power, he has the authority to bring judgment on you. Because he made us. But you know, Pharaoh decided it was going to be his way. Well, it never ends up our way. Because God is the authority. So don't reply against God. See, God has the power, this is the second point here, God has the power, the authority, to judge man who he is made. Verse 21, Hath not the potter power over the clay of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor another unto dishonor? So, God made man to worship him, to receive of his mercy, and he alone has the authority to honor that man who submits to him God alone has the authority to honor that man who has submitted to him with his mercy and give him eternal life. However, if man will not worship God, but resist him, God also has the authority to dishonor him and bring destruction upon him, which he will. Again, this teaches us, that no matter how determined we may be in coming to God our way, on our terms, God will not honor it. He won't honor it. And you will not have just grounds in judgment day to dispute your case. Because God is the sovereign and righteous judge. So He has the power to authority. And thirdly our sovereign god is also long suffering notice verses 22 and 23 what if god willing to show his wrath to make his power known endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath but into destruction that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy which he had afore prepared unto glory so Exodus 5, 1 again, through 4. 5, 1 through 4 says this, And after Moses and Aaron went in, and told Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord God of Egypt, Let my people go, they may hold a feast unto me in the wilderness. And Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord, that I should obey his voice to so let Israel go? I know not the Lord, neither will I let Israel go. And they said, The God of Hebrews hath met with us, let us go, we pray thee, three days' journey into the desert, sacrifice unto the Lord our God lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with a sword. And the king of Egypt said unto them, Wherefore do ye, Moses and Aaron, let the people from the works get you unto your burdens? In other words, you're going to stay with me, you're going to continue to be my slaves, I'm the one that has the authority over you. And in Exodus 10, verses 3 and 4, Moses and Aaron came in unto favor and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord God of the Hebrews, How long wilt thou refuse? to humble thyself before me. Let my people go that may serve me. Else if thou refuse to let my people go, behold, tomorrow why I bring the locusts into thy coast. Now let me ask you a question. Simple question. Did Pharaoh have a choice in this? Well, if you believe plain English, you'd have to say yes, he did. But if you're a Calvinist, you would say, no, God made him to be a vessel of destruction. Forgetting that, Pharaoh replied against God. Pharaoh resisted God's will. Therefore, he is a vessel of destruction. And whether you're a vessel of destruction or a vessel under honor, God's going to be glorified. God will be glorified. You know, think about it. Moses requested of Pharaoh let them go. He refused. As a consequence, there's ten plagues which were a divine demonstration of power and displeasure designed to persuade Pharaoh To change his mind. But he would not. Until his firstborn was killed. Then he changed it. And then he changed it back. Notice the words here again. Endured. Endure means to bear patiently one's conduct. Or to spare one. To abstain from punishing or destroying. So God was... You know, God had every right. The first time Pharaoh said, Who's the Lord? That I should obey Him. You get back to your work. God had every right to kill Him right there and send Him to hell. But He sent message after message after message after message after message after message. message. You counting to ten? There were ten plagues. Ten times, at least ten times, he sent to Pharaoh saying, Let my people go. Pharaoh, submit to me. I'm God. You're a man. And these are my people. So ten times he tried to persuade Pharaoh. And ten times Pharaoh refused. So he endured. And of course, long suffering means he's slow in avenging wrongs. Aren't you glad that when we sin, God doesn't? He's long suffering. I know, Jew, but I sure am glad. I sure am glad. Second you know, Peter 3 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise was long-suffering to us were not willing that any should perish, perish, but that all should come to repentance. You see, the meaning of this passage is God is sovereign. And if we reply against Him, we resist His will, He has no alternative but to judge us. He has the authority to judge us. It doesn't mean that he made us that way. To say that we, He made us that way is to dispute with Him. James very clearly tells us that every man is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. God is not the author of sin. Not of our sin, nor of Pharaoh's sin. Nor of Judas sinned. Again, you know, Calvinists say Judas was predestinated to destruction. Hey, did Judas have all the same opportunities as the rest of the disciples had? He did. I mean, he isn't the only one that sinned against the Lord that night that the Lord was rested. Peter did too you know what? Peter chose to repent. Judas chose not to. But see, here's the other thing we've got to understand. God has foreknowledge. So all this that Pharaoh did, did not surprise God. Because God, being God, knows the end from the beginning. You know, God's not surprised that you're here tonight. He knew you would be. Did he make you come? No. You know, Some of you may be here because your parents made you come, but God didn't make you come. No. see, our God, He is sovereign, but He is a righteous judge. And He desires, His will is, that we submit to Him, not try to do it our way. Not make a deal. You don't make deals with God.